Hey, this is your name, your name, your name. And uh, they say it ain't easy. He's real. Gang Green and their man. Jets got themselves a great Robert Sala. Robert Sala. Talk about all gas, no break, the great one. We're not talking about an effort on the field. Ooh. We're talking about the process at which we do things. Oh, I'm not going to lie to you. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Keep your foot on the pedal. Base, 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 base. There's no way I'm not going to have enthusiasm on the sideline. Hey, own this rut, own this rut. The New York Jets. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasted to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name's Keith Farrell. I'm joined, as always, by the number one Jet fan in the state of Texas, my colleague and co-host, none other than Michael Lagaris, everyone. What's up, Jet fans? Also in the building, we have a full house. You know him, you love him. The majestic beast, the big stinking Wookiee, Nicholas Kronk is in the house. What's up, everybody? And finishing off the lineup here the number one high school football coach in the nation today my cousin sammy sammy o'hare what's up man Jet nation what's going on everybody we got max torres coming up from ducks digest sportsillustrated.com going to give us some inside information on cave on thibodeau tell us a little bit what he thinks about these other edge rushers in the draft compared to him etc etc before we do that let's get into some jet news and notes right off the top mike we signed a kicker we always joke around on this show about kickers. We haven't had a good one since Myers popped in for that one year. I think it was 2018. Uh, Greg the Leg slides in here, Mike. Now, I know last year he missed six field goals, Jet fans. You see that, you see the stat line, and you go, what the hell, man? Six field goals. I don't want this bum on my team as the kicker. Look, he missed six field goals. Three of them were field goals 55 yards or more. I mean, that's the Cowboys just taking a shot at the end of the half. You know, to try to knock a field goal and get some extra points. Besides that, he was 29 for 32. I know the extra points bothers you. Mike, this is a guy with a proven leg. All-Pro 2017. Plenty of big kicks in his career. Seems like the Cowboys didn't want to pay that $2.5 million. Jets had no problem paying the $2.75 million. Kind of a no-brainer for Joe Douglas, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he did, and he's hedging. He's got the kicker that we had, Pinheiro, yeah, signed Pinero. him. And then you get Zerline. You get them both in there competing. Then Pinheiro really has just doesn't have a large track record, right? So he hasn't ever stunk. It's just we haven't seen a lot of them, so we can't have full confidence that he could be the kicker. So you bring in a veteran kicker, and I think the approach there worked really well. And I'm not sure if you guys know this, but there was uh, breaking news just recently. Arians, Bruce Arians, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has stepped down as head coach of the Bay. Buccaneers and has named Todd Bowles head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he did it in some reasons because of the lack of diversity in the NFL. So now we have Todd Bowles, ex Jet, uh, has a Super Bowl squad. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see how wow. he does. Yeah. Yeah. When Todd Bowles left New York, Sam Darnold was his quarterback. That's and he's right. stepping back behind the, the reins there with Tom Brady as a quarterback. Wow, that's some shocking news there. I know Arians is one of the coolest guys in the world. Um, that's pretty noble of him if he stepped down to give the job to Todd Bowles for the reasons that you said. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess there's other reasons involved, and he's spinning it that way. Not yeah. that he's not a good guy, and not that that point he's making is not true. Both of them are true, I'm sure. Yep, yep. But I feel like sometimes people manipulate these things to make themselves look as good as they can. That's some shocking information. But getting back to Greg Leg, I want to ask Sammy this now. Your kicker last year, did you, did you have a kicker, Sammy? Uh, I remember some games you only went for two, bro. Yeah, and then I used my star player, who was also my punter and my kicker. And yeah, my that's what it was. And that's my what tight end and my receiver. He played everything. Yeah, I mean, when you are a coach, you're an NFL coach here, you're Robert Sala. I mean, is it that much of an advantage? Explain to the listeners, man, that much of an advantage, disadvantage, when you know you have a kicker back there that can rip one from 55 yards, like a Greg Zerline? Yeah, of course. I feel like if you have a kicker that can make it from 40, 30 yards, it's super important. Like, so many games, and we've watched the NFL for long enough that, you know, so many games are decided by three points or less. And knowing that you're going to get those three points is is super important. I mean, I've, oh, I've only been coaching as a head coach for four years now, and I've already lost, like, 
seven games by three or less points because I haven't had a kicker. So yeah. I know from personal experience how that, how that feels, and I know how important it is to have a guy who can make field goals for you. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Wookie. Greg the Leg as a nickname, is it strong? Is it not strong? It kind of sounds like it's like the bad guy from a Growing Pains episode in the 80s or something. What's your opinion? I feel, That's I feel like there's ever going to be a, uh, a primetime nickname for a kicker. Uh, I feel, you know, Greg is just a built-in great first name because obviously it goes so well with the leg. Um, True. If you have to think about it, it's not going to be a great nickname. Greg the Leg is just solid. Legendary. Yeah, I'm a, solid, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And even last year, he was pretty good. He knocked in a 56-yarder last year, guys. He has a 61-yard field goal under his belt. If you remember a couple years ago when the Rams made that Super Bowl with Jared Goff, the first time they made it with McVay, four field goals in the NFC Championship game, including a giant kick. I think it was 56, 57 yards, something like that, to put them in the Super Bowl. So this is the guy that's been there, done that. Nice to have him on the squad. I want to throw to Mike here because he was mentioning something to me during the week. I don't want to... First of all, give him kudos because Mike was on point with this. Um, I thought it was ridiculous when he mentioned this to me, but I was wrong. And he said, the beginning of the week, Keith, I think the Jets are going to go offensive line at number four in the draft. Now, we're not going to get too deep into this, guys. we got the mocks coming up, all these things. Um, but we know that Lake and Tomlinson officially got moved to left guard. ABT got moved to right guard. The Jets are telling you they're going to do whatever they have to do to have the line be as good as humanly possible. They don't care about people's feelings. They don't care that ABT played left guard last year. He's playing right guard next year. And when it comes to the Jets and Mekhi Becton, Michael, when you hear them maybe potentially saying they might draft someone to tackle, you have some opinions on that 2020 draft class, kind of their opinions on that draft class, because it doesn't seem like with the words they've, you know, kind of some of the comments from Salah, some of the comments from Douglas, in regards to Mekhi Becton amongst other players, doesn't seem like they're really behind any of those guys at this point, does it? Yeah, they essentially said uh, during the owners' meetings that um, – George Fant is going to have has earned the right to to play for the left tackle position and uh, fight for that starting spot along with um, Makai Becton. So both of them are going to be going into camp battling for that left tackle position. So we will see how that plays out. But it it just seems to me that the coaching staff really isn't that fond of Makai Becton, unfortunately. And I. I have heard that, um, you know, if there's going to be, or essentially they said during the owners' meetings that Sala and JD are going to have to fight it out um, because they're going to be fighting between taking an edge or a tackle um, in the first round. And that just tells me that they are interested in still adding tackle talent um, in the first round. If they did that, it would probably be a Quanu or Neil. Uh, Quanu really seems to be the the top prospect um, out of NC State, and you essentially would take him and then have Becton and Hedge, and see who would win win out. So I don't know if that's the best approach. And what is Mike? If they did that hypothetically in that scenario, that means what? That Becton, if Font wins that position out and they draft a right tackle, he's a bench player or he gets traded? It just seems. Doesn't it seem? I'm not, you're right, and those reports have popped up all over the place, so I'm not even discounting what you're saying. I'm just trying to follow the line of reasoning. Do you kind of feel like they're just not on board with Becton anymore, and maybe they know something we don't? Because to draft a tackle, well, what was Becton, 13th? A couple years ago? Yeah, they, they, they drafted him 11th. And then 11th, I think, I'm sorry. And yeah. I think Fant is a mitigation uh, to risk on yeah. him. So if Becton doesn't work out, then they have Fant, and then they'll have this Aquanu dude. So they're looking at it like, okay, if they work out, then we don't sign Fant because Fant's crown tracks up, and then you got your your bookend tackles, and then you just keep it moving. But if um, Becton doesn't work out, then they're just gonna keep working with Fant, and then they got a Quanu, and they'll just find another left tackle in the future. That's what the logic would be, I believe, is to essentially just make sure you feel solidified because I don't think. This coaching staff is very fond of one Makai Becton, and I don't believe they really trust Makai Becton to stay healthy um, and vigilant. Yeah, and I want to throw something at Sammy here because uh, one of the things I heard discussed today was that the reason they might grab a tackle is because if you want to have a true competition at left tackle between George Font and Makai Becton, then they need to both be playing head-to-head -head at that position, not with one of them playing left tackle while the other plays right tackle at the same time. 
basically, they're both batting line at left tackle, but you have to have someone else over there at right tackle to keep the consistency for the line. Um, is that what you would do? Does that make sense to you? I know, maybe explain to people a little bit about the difference in the positions. It's not that easy just to say, okay, say for instance, Becton comes in second in the left tackle race and Font's going to be the starter. Oh, we'll just plug him in at right tackle. It's not that easy, is it, Sam? No, it's not that easy. Um, you know, usually your better run blackers are going to be on the right side because tendency speaks volumes. Most people in coaching are right-handed and their tendencies tend to run and operate plays to that right side. Um, there's a bunch of statistics about it. But basically what you're looking at is on your left side, you need somebody more nimble and agile because they're protecting that blind side for most right-handed quarterbacks in the NFL. So they need a different skill set. Their footwork's way more important than their upper body strength and their ability to move people in different places. On the right side, the quarterback can often see that guy coming. So sometimes, if not, he might even let that edge rusher go, let a running back pick him up, and he may have a different assignment on a lot of different plays. So, I mean, I think it's kind of silly to sit there, take a right tackle, let those two fight it out. When you have two solid tackles, and, I, you know, Beckton was hurt, and say what you will about that, and maybe his work ethic, his weight hasn't been the greatest, but maybe offensive line, maybe you go out and with the 10th pick, whatever we have, we take that guy, Limbaum, who from all accounts, he's a guy like AV2. He's an immediate starter, doesn't make mistakes, is going to have an impact immediately. And then you've got really strong inside-out presence on that offensive line, and you still have Font back in. You pick up another guy. I think they just picked up, what's his name, Keith? Um, Solomon Thomas they grabbed. Right, Solomon Thomas. So you have depth there, and you can let the best guy who you think fits that left tackle spot, and I think Font has earned that. And, and maybe move a guy like Becton to the right side, give him a little less responsibility in terms of protecting Zach Wilson's blind side, but it also gives you a big, freakishly athletic lineman who at least can put his body in front of other humans, right? Because we all know Zach has that ability to get out of the pocket if he needs to. Well, yeah, they picked up Lakeit Tomlinson for the guard, the Pro Bowl guard from the San Francisco 49ers. And we did mention, we were the first podcast uh, to mention that they probably are going to start uh, Tomlinson at left guard and move AVT to right because he was a Pro Bowl left guard and AVT right. was a good left guard, but he wasn't a Pro Bowl left guard and they're looking to protect Zach Wilson. So, um, I, you know, guys, we know this is Joe Douglas's philosophy is all about the trenches. And he, I, I, that's why I did not believe he was going to be taking a cornerback. I did not believe he was going to take a wide receiver. I didn't think he was going to go anywhere except tackle or defensive end at that number four spot. Now, one thing he did say, Keith, he told the world today, the Jets are ready to take a number one wide receiver. They said, give us a call. We've got our money. We, we're ready to pay him. We're ready to give up the capital. Let's go. Like he put he put the put the league on notice. And I I've never seen him like that before. Like he he was he's aggressive and he's like, look, if they want to do business, give me a call. We're ready to go. Okay. So there is talk that AJ there's so no one knows yet what's going to happen with DK Metcalf with AJ Brown with Debo Samuel most likely Debo Samuel is now not, not going to go anywhere with San Francisco 49ers but AJ Brown is asking for 25 30 million guys and yeah the Titans said they're not going to get rid of him but guess what they have huge contracts with Tannehill and some of their defensive tackles and a bunch of their different resources they cannot pay AJ Brown they can't pay him period they there's no way they're going to be able to pay him what he's going to be looking for and the New York Jets um, are a place that AJ Brown may not be like needing a jet tax because his boy is Elijah Moore. So we'll see, guys, we'll see. All we know is that JD's ready and he voiced that today. And I was really proud to hear that. Yeah, happy to hear that, Joe Douglas. You know, he's been fiscally responsible, very conservative. He stacked up all these assets behind the scenes. And now it's time to put your money where your mouth is. You know, he also knows this year he's kind of on the hot seat in regards to wins and losses. He had that first year, 2019, he came in after the draft, after free agency. So no one really gave him a hard time that they stunk. 
Um, the next year with Gase, we know, was abysmal. We know last year stunk. So I think this year people are looking for some results. It's nice to hear that out of Joe Douglas. Uh, on the way to being an improved team this year, they added one more piece. As we mentioned a moment ago, Solomon Thomas, the former number three overall pick in 2017 for the San Francisco 49ers. He played under Robert Salah for three seasons, six for three, 295 pounds defensive lineman. He missed 2020 with a torn ACL. I know 2019 there with the Niners, they drafted Joey Bosa, so he kind of fit into the background that year too. So um, I know last year with the Raiders, 17 games, didn't start. He would come in on third downs, had three and a half sacks, 12, Q, 12 QB hits. Um, he actually was pretty decent last year. So I think with the type of defense we're going to be running, we've said this before to you guys, you know, Robert Sala is going to be, you know, sub, substituting guys in and out. He likes to rotate those guys in the defensive line. I think this was a solid addition, Mike. They only gave him three million bucks. So it seems like a smart move for the team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the guy was the third overall pick. Sala knows him. He, and I think he's bringing him in really not to be, I don't want to call him a coach, but he knows the scheme already. And so if we do draft a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, people like Solomon Thomas are going to be great to lean on for knowledge and uh, leverage, you know, that experience uh, to help players like him. So I think it's a good ad. Obviously, they know each other. And anytime you know someone and how they work, you know, good uh, that I, that's always a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I just want to say too. I mean, you lost Fatu Kasi, right? So that fills a little hole there on your depth chart for the defensive tackle, which is, you know, like I, like I was trying to say earlier, I got the two mixed up. But that's why I think you take uh, KT, like we we're, you know, kind of mentioning earlier, and then maybe the offensive line job, you go and take Tyler Limbaugh, and now you've covered your bases, you've secured Zach, and you've got your edge presence, and then you go out yeah. and trade for a wide receiver, like you were saying, he's ready to do, and I love that idea. Yeah, and so these mock drafts this year, Mike, we've done pretty decent with the mocks and in, in as far as, you know, as good as you can possibly do, I guess, in the world of mocks, which is an inaccurate science. But this year, I mean, there's some mocks that have the Jets taken a wide receiver for some offensive linemen. Some of them I'm, early on, you saw some of uh, some of them having us taking the safety from Notre Dame. That kind of passed. Some have us taking Thibodeau. Mike. McShay today had us taking Trevon Walker. I think how ridiculous that sounds. And I was looking into these defensive end guys right now, and then we'll talk to Max guys about Thibodeau specifically. I know the top of the list here is the guy that's probably not going to slide to four. We'll probably have to move up to get into Aiden Hutchinson, number one prospect in the draft on a lot of people's boards. Six foot seven, 265. We know he's a monster out there in Michigan. Last year, um, probably the best defensive player in the country. His IQ on the field. I think is one of the reasons why he's so good. He has the physical attributes, but also the guy's sharp as attack. 14 sacks last season, which is beast. But when you get into the production throughout his college career, 2018, 2020, no sacks. Uh, you know, he got, I know he had some injury concerns in 2019, uh, three and a half sacks 2000 of the year before that. So it does seem like he was tremendous last season, Mike, but it's funny to me. I want to ask you this, Mike, when it comes to quarterbacks, sometimes we all have a hesitancy when a guy's been mediocre or pedestrian for two seasons or three seasons, then he beasts out, and then he's a top of the NFL draft pick, right? Like with Zach almost, we had a little bit of that. With Joe Burrow, people had some hesitancy. But with defensive ends, it seems like they just take a chance. They don't even think about that type of stuff. You can stink for three years and be a nobody, be off the grid, and you pop up on the scene for one year, you're going to be number one pick in the draft. It's it's not an exact science, Keith. I mean, you never know how these play. I mean, we've seen uh prospects that look like they're progressing from their freshman year all the way through their senior and then they come in and they're just like blah right and then we've seen guys that showed up one year and then they're superstars i mean it just really depends there's so many different variables but aiden hutchinson look the fact is and i know we're going to be talking to max here soon and and really get into Kayvon, but uh hutchinson is the guy with the safest floor he's going to be a good nfl football player how good, we don't know. But he's going to be a good one, right? He would definitely yeah. bring us value. Um, and I don't disagree with any analyst that's putting him as the number one edge prospect. That's up to you if that's what you feel. Um, I personally disagree, but I can understand it. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate, Mike. I think if you're going 1A and 1B with Hutchinson and Thibodeau, I think Thibodeau, we're going to get into him in a sec here, he has the higher ceiling to me, the potential for him is to be a superstar. Not that Hutchinson doesn't have that, but I think the floor is a lot lower for him. That makes sense. I know his father played in Michigan. He see plays great. The fastest cone drill, guys, by anyone over six foot five since 2003 for Aiden Hutchinson. So, you know, that lateral movement for him is not an issue. Tremendous prospect. Let's, go ahead. I wanted to just 
to uh, say one thing to Nick before we get into the interview with Max. So, Nick, here's the two biggest things I love about um, Kayvon. I know, like I said, we always talk about bend radius. He does have that tremendous bend, but there's another skill that he has. It's called the dip and rip. Okay, have you ever heard about that? The dip and rip? Yeah, he's good at that. The dip Let's and just rip. Think I've heard. I remember we got to keep ourselves, you know, we're on Apple iTunes. So just keep it, let's keep it PG, pal. Okay? The old D and P, D and R, yeah, dip and rip. <laughs> I'm just you playing, know? I'm just playing. Now, Mike <laughs> loves busting out the band radius, dip and rips. And when, when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to Thibodeau, all those. radius helps you with the dip and rip. <laughs> you go. It is. I always find it fun and interesting to f- see all the new and inventive ways writers, pundits, scouts come up with adjectives just to describe someone who's like a ridiculous athlete. Like we all played yeah. with them. We grew up with them. Sammy coaches. And we all know there's kids that you're like, how do you even do that? Like, like um, we have a friend of ours, Dwayne. He could dunk when we were 14. I don't know how he could do it. He was two, three inches shorter than me. He could dunk. So, I mean, some people just can do things. You're like, how the hell can you do that? And it's amazing the bend, all these things they come up with there. And, like, when I went through it, Mike, it was, like, every single cliche mega athlete positive you could think of. Yep, First yep. step is incredible, explosive. Um, he improved every year. The ceiling's great. Um, we know, Mike, like you mentioned when you gave me some of the notes, maybe some of his work with the hands for Thibodeau has to improve. But how I looked at it was the negatives. So we're just talking about on the field stuff. Say we put aside kind of the character assassination of him being lazy, whatever the case may be that popped up in the past month. Say we're just talking on the field stuff you can look at on film. All the things people point to as negatives are fixable. They're coachable. There, there guys, there's guys that are not drafted high remotely come to the NFL and they're beasts, right? Because, oh, they learn technique. Now they know what they're doing out there in the field. What you can't teach is athleticism. Yeah. You know, you, a guy who's 4'5", 40, right, at six foot five, 260 pounds, and he's blasting out 27 reps on the bench press, the most of any defensive end. That combination of size and speed, athleticism, all the other intangibles you said, the agility, um, those are the things you can teach. Oh. I mean, you can you can train to be a little faster, right, Sammy? You can train to be a little stronger, of course. But some of these things are things you can't teach. That's the difference for, for me between a Thibodeau and a Hutchinson. Hutchinson's a monster. He might be great. He might be consistent as hell. But I just see a guy like Thibodeau, someone that once he gets the hang of it here in the NFL... And like like our um like we know we read here, Mike, one of the notes about him is that he's a student of the game, yeah. loves the game. Some yeah. of these reports about him, some of the negative reports we've read, which have to do with work ethic off the field and motivation and football is his favorite thing in the world, you see the opposite written about him too. So that's why all those things I have to just put into the side. Just talking on the field stuff, he is a freak of nature. You look at his freshman year, he was tremendous. Last year, had an ankle injury, missed a couple games. I know we sat out that bowl game. He still had seven sacks. Still had the second highest pressure rate in the country. Unanimous first-team All-American with guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. So the people that know, know. This kid could be special. You put him on the line there with Carl Lawson, with Quinnen. With Jonathan Franklin Myers, he could have a chance to really succeed, especially with a coach like Robert Salala, Mike, like you mentioned, who seemed to have a really good track record here with defensive linemen. All right, Mike, now the guy that Todd McShay, in his mock, has the Jets taking at number four overall is not a Kayvon Thibodeau. It's not a wide receiver. It's not even a cornerback. It's Trevon, it's Trevon Walker, Walker from Georgia. From Georgia. Now, I was a little surprised by that. Trevon Walker is a great player, right? It seems like to me, when I went through it, and I discussed this with Sammy before the show started too, kind of projects more to me, Mike, as a run-stopping defensive end than a pass rusher. The Jets need a pass rusher. So this would make no sense to me. I, I, I know you have your thoughts on him as a player. I know you think he's good. But at number four, and we'll get into some of his strengths and weaknesses too, guys, because he is a good player. But at number four, Mike, would you go in this direction if they do go defensive end? Would you prefer Thibodeau? I mean, I'm going to say something that is blasphemous. People may say, I don't even think he's a first-round talent, in my opinion. I mean, that's crazy because of what he did at the combine. But I don't, th- I mean, he stops the run great. Awesome. That's great. And he can dip, he can play coverage. But as far as bringing value to um, rushing passer, he has no twitch. He has no major first step. He doesn't really win on the outside or inside. You, you don't really see him uh, terrorizing the quarterback the way some of these other prospects. Now, again, does he, he's very refined. 
Um, he has great technique and he is an elite run stopper. But you don't take a guy like that with the number four overall pick. I, and again, I know, I'm sure people are going to say, why, why the hell would he say not even a first round pick? I, I personally wouldn't waste a first round pick on somebody like that because I just don't think that to me, we've drafted guys like that before, fully Fadukasi. Like, in a way, you know, Foley Falakasi was a phenomenal run stopper, you know? He wasn't somebody who was going to be terrorizing the quarterback. Um, so, no, I would not take this man at four. I don't know what Todd McShay is thinking. He probably just eaten up the hype from the combine. And sometimes these guys, they just make, they just, you know how people just say stuff to get attention? Sometimes they make these, uh, claims so that people just put them in their mentions and and start talking you'll see his when you see his mock draft before the draft that's more in line with what he's thinking i don't think he's thinking trayvon walker yeah i mean mcshay kyper all these guys mike they only survive through getting people to be interested in what they say and a lot of that interest comes before the draft because guess what take a look at their mocks after the draft and you would say you have no idea what you're talking about guys like you're clueless so before the draft, somehow they got a lot of credibility, guys, which I always find interesting. Uh, Mike, he's more of a 3-4 type of defensive end. Some of the experts that I saw weigh in on him, like these are unnamed, quote-unquote, NFL experts, guys. They said he's someone that initially, as a rookie, you might have to take off the field during passing downs. That's not what we want to see. That's not the scouting report Jet fans want to see with the guy we're taking number four overall. We're not trying to draft a run stopper number four. That's not the hole we've been looking to fill forever. I know we lost Fontucasi, like Sammy said. Um, but you can find sometimes guys like that. The run stoppers are a little easier to find than those pass rushers. I think one of the reasons the hype is so high on him, Mike, is just because he played his best games and probably played his best ball last year during the playoff run at the end of the year for Georgia. So he had a lot of eyes on him then. Um, very visible. He had a great game in the national championship game, too. So those are the type of things that make people go, oh, wow, look at this guy. He had a, a tremendous tackle. He made the, maybe saved the, a touchdown at the end of the game. Um, if you guys are Remember, so but you look at the production throughout the whole year, you look at his production throughout his college career. He has nine sacks in his college career. Come on. Thibodeau had that many sacks as a freshman. His freshman. Yeah. So and now. even, you know, I mean that's not someone I don't know if four would be a stretch for me. I know McShay knows what he's talking about, but that seems like a little much. Very versatile guy, played the five technique, the six technique all over the place. But uh four that'd be a stretch. We'll see where he goes, guys. The last prospect here we're gonna get into, and then we're gonna go ahead and talk some max guys about Thibodeau is Jermaine Johnson in FSU from Georgia. Where he had guys like Walker in front of him and some other really good defensive linemen, went over to SSU, had 11 and a half sacks last year. Mike, he's somebody that kind of shot up the draft boards at the end of last season, combined with the combine here, kind of went from an off the radar guy, second or third round pick, to maybe a top of the first round pick. I don't see him going to the Jets at four, but if the Jets went ahead and gripped up a receiver, a Garrett Wilson at number four, a London at number four, right? Maybe they take a tackle at number four. This is someone who at number 10, if they don't trade back, Mike, could be an option for us. They still wanted to fill that hole at, at edge. He's my someone at 10, would you consider him? I know you're obviously not a big fan of Walker. I got it. Not going to push the issue on him. When it comes to Jermaine Johnson, though, at FSU, a little bit of a different skill set. Another guy who seems more of a run defender than a pass rusher. I get it, Mike. But would you take a chance on him at number 10? So Jermaine Johnson, the only issue I really have with him is that he's two years older than Kayvon Thibodeau. Yeah, he's he's an older player, but he's refined. He's actually one of the most refined prospects in this draft from a skills perspective. He has speed to power, um, long arm, uh, two-hand swipe, spin moves. He's able to do – he already has the skills that NFL players have at the edge. So he would come in there and actually bring value, I think, right away. Um Honestly, the way I'm leaning, and I don't want to mess up and reveal my mock madness, but right now I'm leaning Aquanu at four for the Jets, and at 10, I'm leaning Jermaine Johnson. <laughs> to be honest with you, that's how I'm thinking it may turn out. I know that's kind of not what Jeff fans want to hear, probably, but being real, 100% real with you guys, like Jermaine Johnson can, can definitely bring it. Okay, he, he's somebody who put his hand in the dirt, get after the quarterback, and he has those pass rush skills. He's older, right? And he's not as explosive as KT, but he definitely has the better skill set. Um, if you looked at KT, KT's a little more raw than a guy like Jermaine Johnson. So would I be upset if they took him at 10? No, I would not. I think he's an excellent prospect. Another guy there that when you look at the 40 times, same exact 40 time, Mike, is Thibodeau. 
So, I mean, he also has some good athleticism there. I think that's one of the reasons he shot up the, the charts here and someone had a good vertical jump. So, got to keep an eye on number 10. I'm happy that Mike likes him there. That's what we think about these edge guys. Uh, Thibodeau, in particular, is the guy I see mocked to the Jets the most often of any of the dudes we just spoke about. The guy I think has the most realistic chance of coming to the Jets. We wanted to talk to someone that knew a lot about it. We got Max Torres coming on here from the Ducks Digest. Let's go. The situation. Uh, okay, everybody. NFL draft coming up uh, in a month. We know the New York Jets have a big, giant, glaring hole at edge. We've had it for about 20 years, like many other positions. The quarterback position, unfortunately, 50 years. Uh, we wanted to get an expert in here to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau, talk about some of his other edge rushers. We wanted to go to someone who's a topic matter expert with the Oregon Ducks. Um, the lead editor of the Ducks Digest, where you can find on Sports Illustrated, amongst other places, Max Torres. Thank you very much for joining us. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Cool, man. Max, welcome to the show. Appreciate you joining us. I know the Ducks didn't make the NCAA tournament this year, um, but I'm sure you're following along as your sheet just in complete shambles like everybody else. <laughs> it is. It's been very ugly. It was kind of a last minute effort on my part to uh, get in with those brackets with my friends and family, but we got it done. <laughs> I did the same thing, man. I was like, you know, I'm just going to throw some stuff at the wall here, see what happens. And for like a hot minute, it seemed like that was working. Last place, I think, Wookie, maybe potentially in our group. Our group. Um, but let's get to the Jets here. Like we said, Max, been searching for an answer here at defensive end for a long time. We're hoping one of these guys here, we could maybe grab at number four, is going to be the answer there. Can you let me know when we're getting into Thibodeau here? Just going back to the beginning, before we get into last year and where he ranks as a draft prospect, just kind of let everybody know kind of how highly touted he was coming into Oregon. I'm not sure if any of the listeners know that and kind of what the expectations were for him coming into that freshman season. Absolutely. Well, Kayvon Thibodeau was really that program changing caliber of a recruit. He was rated the number one overall prospect in the 2019 class coming out of Oaks Christian High School out in uh, Southern California. And he was the highest rated recruit that has ever committed to Oregon, which is not something that you should be taking lightly, right? And uh, he was kind of the crown jewel under Mario Cristobal's recruiting efforts when he came into Oregon um, after being named the new head coach following Willie Taggart's departure. And the expectations were sky high. And I think at least in his freshman season, he really lived up to that. And it was kind of weird because he wasn't a guy that started right out of the gate. But man, you felt his impact when it really mattered most, really coming onto the scene in that 2019 Pac-12 championship game against Utah that just, I think a lot of people were just floored by his performance. And um, that was kind of what Oregon was hoping to get out of him. And I'm sure we'll kind of get into, you know, what the rest of his college career kind of uh, went with that. I know he attended Oak Christian High School there in Los Angeles. That seems to be a factory when it comes to NFL players, when it comes to professional athletes. Um, I know Michael Pittman Jr. is from there. Jimmy Clausen, horrible NFL quarterback, but I root for Notre Dame. So he went to Oak Christian. Um, I know he didn't disappoint as a freshman. Like you said, man, he was a monster. Nine sacks as a freshman. After that great freshman season, I know he was pegged as a possible number one pick in the draft. His sophomore season, Max, they only played seven games. Was that COVID related? Is that, is that what had to do with the Pac-10? That's why he only played seven games that year? Yeah, yeah. The, the whole COVID-19 pandemic really threw a wrench into things, especially with the Pac-12 uh, having that shortened COVID season. Um, but they, they were able to get about seven games in there. So a little sample size. When you saw him that freshman year, I know you said that freshman year he lived up to the hype, and we'll get into his further years after that. Did he immediately to you, you know how when you watch a game or you watch, you're at a game live or you're watching on television, did he jump off the field or off the screen to you as someone that you thought down the line was going to be a big-time NFL prospect? Yeah, I, th I think he did. He certainly does from the athletic standpoint, right? And I think another thing that kind of went with why he jumped off the, the screen, you know, jumped off at you as a prospect is because He's a caliber of player, particularly along the defensive line that the Pac-12 just hasn't had regularly. You don't see a lot of high-end defensive linemen coming from the Western footprint too often. So for, for Oregon to get him and, and keep him in uh, in the Pac-12 on the West Coast was a was a big, big move for, for not only Oregon, but for the Pac-12, as we see a lot of high-end guys, you know, heading out East to the Big Ten, to the SEC, yeah. to play for those Blue Blood programs. So KT definitely impressed as, as a freshman. And, and I think that, um, you know, you just kind of continue to build off that. And, yeah, awesome. and you think, <clears throat> and as a prospect now, you know, the biggest positive for him is that he's a freak athlete. I mean, I mean, it, his skills just jump right off the page. He's maybe not as refined as some other defensive end prospects, um, uh, but from a technique perspective, but from an explosive talent, 
you know, he is just absolutely incredible. So my question to you is more around the negative, right? There are questions about his motor. Okay. There are questions like sometimes when he's not winning inside or, um, you know, he's not getting his feet and hands synced. Some of the offensive uh, guards and uh, tackles are, are keeping him at bay that he may not be running at 100%. Have, is that a narrative shared among the Oregon fans? Do you know, have you seen that, and should we expect that uh, in the NFL? I don't think it's a narrative shared among the Oregon fan base at all. I think when people read into that, I, I think that there is a little bit of a bias for I don't want to say all Pac-12 players, but Oregon players certainly can make that case. And you look at Justin Herbert coming out of the league, uh, try to come out of college. Marcus Mariota, both being kind of soft-spoken guys, but they really let their play on the field do the talking for them. And then I think a reason that people might read into that a little bit with, with Kayvon in his case is because he had that ankle injury this year. And he had, when he kind of got eased back into it, we saw him a little bit in that Arizona game. And then in that Stanford game a little bit, he got um, ejected after that crazy targeting call um, towards the end there that, that really went a long way in deciding yeah. that game. But no, I, I don't think that that's something that people should expect uh, coming in, coming out of college for, for KT and regardless of what team he ends up on. Yeah, Max, do you think that's just the normal kind of behind the scenes NFL around the draft time maneuvering? Because for three years, there's like no negative comments at all about him. And then he announces for the draft and out of the woodworks come unnamed NFL sources and things like that. Um, the timing of them seems a little shady. When it comes to negative things they say about him a lot of it has to do with technique like you said his motor and things like that a lot of that can probably be corrected with coaching in the pros if those are issues at all um athleticism things like that you can't teach he had a four five eight forty i think hutchinson was around a four seven four he's a little faster than him experts say he's kind of a next level athlete amazing first step all these type of things i wanted to ask you do you think when it comes to athleticism you hear this all the time they're a great athlete they're a next level athlete all that type of stuff do you think those skills he has now immediately he gets drafted by the Jets or whatever team. You think first year in, he's going to translate right away to be an effective NFL player? Yeah, I, I think that he can translate to being an effective guy right away, uh, especially when you consider the the teams that are in the running to, to draft him, right? Um, I know that the Jets have a couple solid pieces already in place along their front seven that could certainly, uh, you know, make it easier for KT to slide in there. Um, but I think... With his with his skill set, you obviously see how high the upside is from from his body of work at Oregon, and and maybe you did want to see a little bit more. But I think a lot of the reason that people are so convinced of his potential is from his athletic gifts and how he jumps off the page, how he did that at a at an early stage in his college career. I think that's probably a good sign, and uh, it really felt like another thing that would be uh, a positive for him in the, in this draft process is, is that he showed up in the big games I think when it really mattered most you look at the Rose Bowl with the Pac-12 championships and I think that's something that is definitely worth mentioning now Max I'm going to ask you a question I don't want you to be biased I want you to be completely honest and I know you know Kayvon better than most okay because you've watched him play every day or every every time he suited up there are other defensive end prospects in this draft uh, Aiden Hutchinson uh, Jermaine, Johnson, uh, Jermaine Johnson, um, Trayvon Walker, so on and so forth. Um, in your opinion, what is the pecking order uh, in your, uh, to what you know right now? I know you may not know the other prospects as well as you know Kayvon, but how would you rank the, pro the top prospects in this draft? Yeah, so yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to, to take, take a stab at this one just because those guys are kind of all throughout the country. But I think that you see the guy you see Kayvon uh, compared with and kind of put side by side with a lot is Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan, right? And, and how could you not with that season that he had in, in 2021? Uh, I think a lot of people are putting Hutchinson above Kayvon uh, because of some of the reasons that we've talked about with, with him being a little bit more of a polished prospect, uh, a little bit more of a, a solid body of work from a statistical standpoint. So I, I think that I would put I would put Hutchinson above Kayvon if you're looking for someone uh, who's more a little bit more ready-made right now to make an impact as a rookie. That's not to say that Kayvon's not going to make an impact as a rookie. I, I know Keith just asked me that, and I still stand by him having uh, an impact his rookie year wherever he ends up. But it does seem like Aiden Hutchinson is probably a little bit more ready-made to contribute right now as a rookie. 
Um, and then for, for some of those other guys, uh, Trey, um, Trayvon Walker, and I know that George Karloffis is another guy out of Purdue yeah. that's in Purdue. that conversation as well. Uh, right. So I think I, I'd probably go Hutchinson and, and then Kayvon. Uh, but it really depends, like I was saying, it kind of does feel like a 1A, 1B. It depends what that team is looking for and, and if they're willing to commit to if you want to call a first round guy like KT a, a project, but someone who can get a little bit more refined with coaching. And and then I think I would probably put uh, Jermaine Johnson at that number three spot uh, if I had to kind of just hit some of my, my top guys. Right, right. I would agree. Look, Trayvon Walker killed it in the in the combine. His measurables were wild, right? And everyone's saying that Trayvon Walker is a freak, is a freak athlete, right? But to be honest with you, if you look at Trayvon Walker as a prospect, he's not an edge guy, but like Nick, the bend radius that we like to talk about, you know, he doesn't have any of that. He's not, a, he doesn't win on the outside. Okay? Very, very he's stiff. A, yeah, yeah. He Not too much bend in the radius. Not, not too much bend in the radius. He's an elite run stopper. You can actually put him in and he'll drop back into space. Um, you could play him there at linebacker. We're talking Trayvon Walker, but as an edge prospect he's really not a top he's not even in Kayvon's uh um universe now Aiden Hutchinson to be honest with you to me is he's the safer pick Max in my opinion but Kayvon he really has only one or two like real good moves like he wins well on the inside um he's learned how to do that over the past couple of years and actually he's gotten better every single year which is a really good sign i always like watching prospects that actually do better each and every year but um he needs refinement and no other prospect in my opinion has the ceiling like Kayvon thibodeau he has freakish talent that you just rarely find so in my opinion you know and I were to stack that rank them, I would probably rank them the way you just did. But I would probably, to be honest with you, put Kayvon as number one because he's he to me, he's the freakiest. I mean, Keith, didn't he um bench press only only four three other players bench press? Yeah, five players had more reps um at the combine than him. They were all offensive linemen and one defensive tackle. He had Listen to that. Pretty, that's pretty impressive because he's 250 those guys are 350 yeah, that's pretty good <laughs> that, that i'll is, take that yeah that, that i wanted that, to ask max a question because after his first year you know he was kind of penciled in everyone's like all right 2022 draft that's the number one pick and like you said how he's kind of front loaded kind of the hype a little bit not that the hype was down this year he was unanimous you know first team all-american as we know along with hutchinson but hutchinson kind of bypassed him as that number one d end and a lot of people, I don't, I've been watching the games for three years. So what do you think, did, did some bloom come off the rose here a little bit with him just because you didn't see him evolve with like maybe his pass rushing technique, those skills, and he just stayed an athletic freak and never went past that? Because I see reports sometimes, Max, that say one thing, he's a student of the game, one guy, and then the next guy says he's not, and it's the opposite. What do you think? Yeah, the, the student of the game is absolutely KT in, in a nutshell. Uh, for, for someone who gets all the, the first round, you know, number one overall draft praise and everything, every time I'm talking to the guy and, and I'm right in front of him, he just carries himself like like such a gentleman, like someone you would want to to represent your franchise, your organization. He, he's never giving, he's never taking the credit to himself and he's incredibly humble. He's always saying there's more to do. Um, and I, he was the, the consummate leader of this team. And I think with the freak athleticism, you you maybe didn't see that as much throughout his entire career as you did maybe say as the freshman year. And I think yeah. that's one thing that, that some people are maybe a little bit critical of is, is the consistency. But there's some reasons for that. I think a lot of it has to do with the defensive line that he was playing with. With Aiden Hutchinson, you, you had another first rounder playing on the opposite side of you on the defensive line. So that makes it a little bit tougher for OCs to, to game plan around you. But for, for Oregon's case, KT could get doubled a lot and, and that kind of makes it a little bit harder to make your impact, can, can kind of neutralize you. But Keith, there were multiple times throughout the season where you just still had those, whoa, like those eye-popping moments for KT. I remember that that Fresno State game when he sacked Jake Hayner, he just slammed into that dude and the ball went flying. <laughs> and then he ended up getting hurt, which was which was tough for Oregon to see. Um, but every game that he was in, you know, he, he made his impact felt. And, and I think that um, 
Yeah, I just I, I can't say enough now, good things about him. Now offline, you let us know that you're a San Francisco 49ers fan. Yes, you see my flag back there. I do see it in the background. <laughs> and being that, I know that you are very familiar with one Robert Sala, our head coach of the New York Jets. If the New York Jets take Kayvon at four, what do you see potentially happening with him under Robert Sala? You knowing Robert Sala's defensive scheme and what he's able to do with defensive ends and what he's able to get out of that defensive line. Do you think that that would be a great landing spot for your boy, KT? Yeah, I, I think schematically it definitely would. I think some other Oregon fans would maybe say otherwise just because the Jets are one of those many teams, I feel like, that are kind of in that top five pick selection every year. So maybe situationally it's not great. What are you trying to say, Max? <laughs> say it, bro. The, the Jets don't have the, the best history recently. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you saw what Sala did with some of the high-level defensive linemen that came through San Francisco. Joey Bosa, obviously a great example. Um, I don't want to go as far as saying that KT is going to become Joey Bosa because I think they're, they're different players. But with some of the pieces that New York has, like Quinn and Williams and, and Shaq Lawson, it's, it's definitely something to build around. And I think that Sala is kind of a guy who, who has liked to, to build his defenses from, from the inside out. And we all know how, how – uh, I was going to say how effective it is to, to you know win the trenches. And then if you can do that, it, it'll really help you kind of build the rest of your defense from, from you know, outward from there. Nice, man. All right, looks like Max is signing off on Tinder in New York. Besides the hatred he has, obviously, in his heart for the Jet Nation guys. No. Um, he signs off on the pick. I'm just, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We hear it all the time. We hear from fellow New Yorkers. You should hear what the people say about oh. the team in here in New York. Oh, you should have heard. I'm just kidding, Max. Remember, we were, we were uh, interviewing those from BYU, and they did not want Zach Wilson going to the New York Jets. <laughs> no. At all. None of them. They were just, and Some of these things yeah. that came out of those Mormons' mouths. <laughs> <laughs> about the city of New York would surprise you. That's all I'm going to say about but that. But you know what? Look, the the narrative will change when they start winning, and they'll start winning when they get good players, and we need good players like Mr. Kayvon Thibodeau to kind of That's change true. that. You know what I mean? So we're all right, excited. Everybody. Jet fans, I want to say, you know, Max is signing off on him coming to the Jets, and if it doesn't work out, he's going to give you his Twitter in a minute. Send all the hate tweets directly at him and the Duck Digest, everybody. Um, joking, of course, keep all that negativity here on the East Coast uh, where it belongs. Max, before we let you go, we're focusing here on Kayvon, um, edge rusher today and a bunch of other positions, but um, there's plenty of other Ducks that may, might have their name called here in the draft. Plenty of other guys that actually fill holes we might have. So it might not be the only Oregon Duck here. Um, a few guys in the secondary, I know there's a receiver, the big receiver, Devon Williams, might get gripped up. Do you have any other tidbits or guys you think Jet fans or um, NFL fans should keep an eye on here when the draft comes? Yeah, you, you mentioned one of them. Devin Williams is, is one of the more intriguing prospects out of Oregon. Just because I think it wasn't such a surprise that he decided to, to declare for the draft. I think you look at a lot of the factors that were going on, the, the coaching transition, um, and you know him just trying to capitalize while while his you know stock was hot. Um, it really felt from an Oregon perspective like, man, he's just becoming that wide receiver one that this team has really needed. Like, don't leave now, I think is what a lot of fans were, were thinking. But but that's a guy who's really physically gifted. Um, it felt like he was just getting into his, his role, like I was saying, at Oregon. He was the only Oregon receiver, I think, over these past two years to, to turn in multiple 100-yard performances. And you, you got to look at his length, and that's definitely something that's intriguing from a wide receiver, and just the way he moves and he has big playability after the catch. I think that was something that popped off from his tape at Oregon. So Devin Williams, I think is, I don't know if I want to say sleeper because I'm not I'm not really deep into the, the NFL draft uh, lingo. So maybe I'm not qualified to say that, but he's someone to keep an eye on, I'd sure. say. And then Verone McKinley has to be another one too. The general, as they call him uh, out here in Eugene, um, came to Oregon in 2018 and just really continued to get better year by year. Big playmaker for sure. Uh, really, really smart guy, high football IQ. Sure, he had some problems tackling every now and then this season. I think you'd look to, to maybe see a little bit more reliable, consistent tackling from here and from him, and he would probably tell you that himself. But I think he was really one of the guys that, that stepped up for this Ducks defense when guys like KT went down. Um, showed up really, really big against Ohio State. So kind of like we were talking about with KT showing up in big games when it mattered. That was really big. He had that huge interception late in Columbus. Uh, when it was just, I was going to say pandemonium, but uh, the, the Ohio State fans were, were pretty quiet after that, after that one. So Verone's a guy you got to keep an eye out for sure. 
Um, he was a Jim Thorpe Award finalist, so he was up there with the best defensive backs in the country. And um, again, just like KT and another guy that's just put your head down and work and, um, you know, he'll, he'll show up for you. Yeah, I'm surprised. I didn't think Williams was going to be in this draft. So when I did the research for the show today, I was like, oh, wow, he, he's, he's made to the combine. He's going to be showing up. I'm surprised by that one, man. Max, this was a blast. We're way more significantly informed about Kayvon Thibodeau and everything Oregon Duck related than we were. Um, thank you for joining us. For all the Ducks fans here in New York and around the world, why don't you let them know where they could find you and find the Ducks Digest? Absolutely. Appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at mtouristsports, and you can find my website, ducksdigest, si.com slash college slash Oregon. Keep it real simple. And then uh, I also run a podcast of my own, the Ducks Dish podcast, and you can find more Oregon coverage over there. All right. Thank you very much, Max. All right, everybody. Thank you, Max Torres, for joining us, dropping your knowledge on us. Max took a couple shots at the Jet fans. Guys, are we used to it? Does it bother us? We had to tell him, don't worry about it, dude. He's a West Coaster. They're super nice out there. I married one of them. I'm married to a girl from California. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. It's all good, Max. We knew what you were getting at. Thank you for joining us, blessing us with your knowledge about Thibodeau. Mike seemed like he's a big fan. He gave us his honest opinion that he would take Hutchinson before Thibodeau. Still think he's a monster prospect. Nice having him on. Still seems like, to Max at least, Mike, Thibodeau's a slam dunk pick if the Jets were able to get him. Oh, 100%. I think that if he is there at four, there's no question to me. I mean, it's not just a need. It's. I think he's the – I mean, what didn't you send me something today? I think PFF or one of the other platforms has Thibodeau as the number one prospect number one talent in this draft isn't that right oh yeah mike it was from uh bleacher report actually they had five different experts scouting experts a couple nfl players um gave their kind of a grading system on the top 100 prospects the number one prospect was thibodeau number seven prospect was Hutchinson. now what do we know what are those guys oh this is all a crap shoot as we say but i think the physical tools um that he has on the field the production he's put up out there had a hurt ankle this year still played pretty well and i think the people that really know him well like a Max, like other people that spoke to him, talk about how respectful he is, how smart he is. Kayvon Thibodeau, guys. Hopefully a New York Jet. Thank you, Max, once again for joining us. Michael, if anyone does want to support the AEBG podcast in any way, shape, or form, how could they do that? Well, guys, we're on YouTube. Please like and subscribe. We really appreciate it. We're on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio. On Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ podcast. And on Instagram at Jet.AEBG behalf of the biggest FN in the state of Texas, Michael Garris, on behalf of the number one high school football coach in the nation today, my cousin Sammy, and on behalf of the big stick and Wookiee Nicholas Cronk, my name is Keith Farrell. Get it next week, everybody. Peace out.